brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechats.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine, Higher Side Chatters. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and when we hear the wise words, the most enlightened and dedicated spiritual gurus of past and present, they often tell us to worry less about the external world, but instead change ourselves internally and expect to see the outside world reflect those changes. But how often over the last year have we stayed glued to a glass screen, following the daily fear porn, or seeking a bright, flashy distraction that also doesn't do much to better ourselves? I know it gets hard when the outside world is closed, and many critics of the lockdowns have stressed that the damage, depression, isolation, and bankruptcy can cause has been completely left out of the equation, and as we can see now, that's no small thing. We talk a lot about exotic healing modalities, shamanism, diet, and holistic medicine, but we don't talk as much about the physical requirements of a well-rounded human or the mental and emotional blocks that stunt our progress or drain our motivation, which are certainly components of our overall health. And in the words of today's guest, health coach and personal development liaison Christian Elliott, health can't be injected, but it can be earned. He's certainly an authority on how to go about it, offering coaching and courses along with his wife Nina that cut through to the core of a lot of our stuckness and include many of the things other health coaches leave out, which you can find at truewholehuman.com. He's also the man behind the bold health and wellness blog Deconstructing Conventional, where he recently made quite a stir over his viral post entitled 18 Reasons I Won't Be Getting a COVID Vaccine. Well, he's speaking my language, so let's do the damn thing. The true whole human health coach, remover of roadblocks, and personal transformation teacher, Christian Elliott. Welcome to the higher side. Well, thank you very much. That was quite an intro. I'm flattered. (laughs) I try, man. And this is going to be a lot of fun. No matter how a person looks at the last year and a half, we've all been affected to some degree. In fact, it's getting a bit cliche to hear that the real COVID-19 is the extra 19 pounds everyone has gained. But whether you're more concerned with the virus or the government overreach, either one can inject more stress into our lives. Many of us had plans derailed and goals put off into the future. And when we stall, it is hard to get moving again. And it seems like your entire 
coaching model is based around whole human solutions for people who feel like they've tried everything else, can't stick to a routine, and just don't get why it's always one step forward, two steps back. A lot of people feel like this pretty often, but 2020 really kicked it up a notch, and it's kind of rare for everyone to have this big universal factor in their lives. As a bit of an introduction, tell the people about your best advice for coming out of this mess and how your advice is different from what we might hear from a conventional development coach. Oh man, that's a fantastic question. And I'd say there's probably a multifaceted answer to how you handle navigating the strange landscape we find ourselves in. And to me, a lot of it comes back to your personal context. Like what situation are you in and what factors are influencing your life? Because if you're in a situation where your livelihood's at risk and probably focusing on that's going to be the most important thing. If you've got bandwidth to go fight some of the battles that this world needs fought and you have resources to do it or, or will to do it, or you've been put in a corner and you don't have any choice but to fight, then how you spend your time and what inputs you let into your life, the things that you know you can't control your thoughts. They go where they go. And controlling your thoughts is kind of like trying to control the wind. It's, you're not going to do it. But what you do have control over is the inputs that you have, the things that you spend your time reading and listening to and watching. And the better you are at protecting those ferociously, and so many people, that means checking out of what you call the fear porn, the negativity and the stress and the, for the most part, mainstream media, the narratives they give you, their whole focus of effort is to agitate and aggravate you such that you can't stop watching. And that input of a drip of fear and anxiety constantly in your life cannot help but form the thoughts you think. So part of the success you'll find becoming and feeling more centered and learning which battles to fight and where to put your energy and how much time you have to spend fighting for your family versus your job versus whatever other you know extracurricular battle you might fight comes back to, do you have an ability to stay centered emotionally to answer some of those questions about what's really worth your time in a way that isn't arrested with the constant inputs of media and social media and actually focused on some things that are positive and on what you can control and on stringing together small wins so that you can feel like there's a sense of hope and purpose in your life again. Well said. And for people who might be thinking, oh, great, uh, another health coach, another positive person telling me I can do it when they really just don't know how difficult it's been for me. What do you think it is about your approach that people who have maybe tried six or seven other things, signed up for several gym memberships they never used? What would you do differently to get them on the right track that other health coaches are missing? Great question. So I think you know, if you zoom out on the landscape of health or what we call healthcare, and I, I broaden that to not just conventional allopathic care, but to alternative and restorative healthcare, so much of both of those worlds and the natural and the conventional are still focused on symptoms is what I found. And as much as us in the natural world like to think we're not kind of just reacting to symptoms, for the most part, we are. We're you have symptom, you treat symptom with a drug. You have symptom, you treat symptom with supplement. And it's still largely a reactionary focus on a problem rather than saying, how do we go upstream and find the roots of this problem? So what we've learned kind of through the school of hard knocks over the years is that, yes, we can have the best health information and then a very deep 
toolkit or understanding of the levers you can pull related to physiology and the habits that we all must practice. And part of the, the game of health is getting better and better at the things we all have to do. Like we all have to drink water, right? You can't drink more water to make up for not sleeping. You can't out-exercise a bad diet. There's just some things we all have to be able to do. But what keeps us from doing those, I've found, is there's two other areas of upstream thinking besides just how does the body heal and what do we need to do to create the scenario for it to heal? Because we have to go upstream and understand there's a human nature element to the process of change. There is strengths that you bring to the table and things that we would call your shadow side, things that are their stress responses and avoidance patterns and narratives you have told yourself probably from childhood or from parts of life that didn't go the way you want. And if you can't fill a narrative void with something that makes sense, you're just going to make something up to get yourself through that day. And so much of what blocks us when we go to make changes isn't a common refrain I hear from people is I know what to do, but I can't make myself do it. There's that understanding that there's something else here that's kind of in the way there's a lack of self-awareness of why I'm doing these things. And so it's upstream looking for like, why in the world do I do this sort of thing? So that's the second piece. It's just that upstream in human nature. And then the third piece is really just shockingly a missing part of the way we think about approaching our health. And that's the context of our lives. If you're a busy mom or dad with multiple kids and a full-time job, and you barely have any margin in your life, that's a very different scenario than a 20 or 30 something single person who's trying to change their life. And it's the context of the life you live, the goals you have, the support structure that you have, the checklist of responsibilities that personal and professional that you have to do. And there's a calculus that says, well, how much time does it take to be healthy? And what would that look like in this real life? There are very few options I know of where they'd even tip their hat to that reality. Every marketing campaign you see is built around the idea of every single person should do this one thing and this will make all of you better. And nothing works that way. And largely the reason it doesn't is because we've ignored the second and third piece of upstream thinking. That's human nature. And that's the context of the life and the history and the support that someone does or doesn't have. And all the moving parts of the responsibilities they have. If you can get good at building a plan around all three of those, and it takes longer, it's slow down to speed up thinking. But when you step back and you weigh those, that's a very different way to approach health goals. Mm-hmm. Well said, I like it. And to back up a bit to your own story, because I find it is always easier to take the advice of people who are successful with something I wish I was successful with now, but have struggled. This template is pretty common around here to hear that our health-centric guests tend to have had a problem that Western medicine couldn't really fix, and only when they truly explored the alternative health world did they find what they were looking for, and that is an element of your story too, isn't it? That's correct, yes. Back in early 2000s, I was just recently married, I was 27, and I thought, shoot, my healthiest days may be behind me here, and I had a degenerative joint condition. I had an immune system that was letting me get sick multiple times a year and thinking, geez, I'm 27. What is this going to be like when I'm 50? And so I had been to a half dozen different medical doctors trying to figure out kind of the roots of what's going on. And what you, you bump into is it's five, 10 minutes of half listening and a pill. And, you know, if that doesn't work, we can maybe do surgery or we can do a cortisone injection. And even they know, like, these are not good options for somebody your age. And, but that's pretty much the extent of the toolkit. So I had to look outside that and, you know, 
had the good fortune to find a group of chiropractors who really just turned my understanding of health upside down, who healed me in a matter of months or set me on a journey to continue my healing. And in that process of exploring so many things I did not know about health, I just became insatiably curious, like how many other life-changing modalities are out there that I'm completely clueless about. And so you're right. It is a fairly common story to say, I kind of went through what I could find that medicine could offer me and finally just got outside that realm and started putting enough of the pieces together. And sure enough, the body's way more capable than we tend to give it credit for. Yes, it's a beautiful thing, as are the alternative health rabbit holes that never seem to end. And hearing from someone who is in the kind of shape you're in now, but has dealt with issues that sound more severe than anything most people out there will have dealt with, that should be motivating. My joints aren't deteriorating, you know, I should be thankful and get out there and make moves. Many of us, and I'm guilty of it, have established a pattern of laziness or have never stuck with anything enough to cultivate strength, but I would think the position you came from might be context that would help jumpstart at least some of us out there. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And you're, you're right. So much of our ability or will to change comes from having a frame of reference of somebody who's not too dissimilar from us that has strived and overcame some of the problems we did. And the more we bump into people like that, the more it gives us a story in our mind to say, well, shoot, if they can do it, why couldn't I do it? So I'm glad you found that helpful. Yeah, man. Why do you think it is that chiropractors are so turned on? I mean, as a profession, they seem to be more tuned into the alternative world than other modalities that seem somewhat conventional. And Someone who's just adjusting backs. I don't know. It's weird how deep down the alternative rabbit hole a lot of chiropractors seem to go. Well, yeah. And and I think there's definitely breadth of competency or skill set from chiropractors or any health profession for that matter. But I think one thing that perhaps tends to steer them to be more holistic is just they found a modality similar to several other ones you could try where it's quantifiable the difference it makes. And what they recognize that they're doing is they're just empowering the body to work better. And the better they get at that craft, the more they recognize how capable the body is and the more open-minded they are that there are other ways that the body has that it can heal or different ways that it can communicate the symptoms to you and provide actionable information if you know how to ask it. And so they're typically lifelong studiers of many different ways that the body heals and they bring their their hands-on skill set of manipulation to a highly developed sense of touch and an empathy and, and so many other different ways that tend to make them quite good the longer they stick with it. Mm. Fair enough. It's definitely a trend I've noticed around here that people search for answers, they find a chiropractor, and then they find those answers. It's strange. And let's talk about that 18 reasons you won't be getting a COVID vaccine shot post. Very well written, methodical, brave, and it covers the exact reasons we've been talking about around here. It's funny because when I search your name now, the search engine autofill suggestion is 18 reasons. So I get the sense that this has circulated quite a bit. It's how I found you. But has this gotten a noticeable amount of attention, both positive and negative, I assume? 
it certainly has gotten attention. It's way beyond any stratospherically beyond anything I was ever expecting. But the most read post I had before that was about 1,012 views. And so this one's, I think, somewhere near 3.7 million. <laughs> and so, yeah, completely different realm. And I sent that post. I kind of just swallowed hard and said, here we go. Like I just braced for a lot of pushback for a torrent of negativity to come my way. And I'm delighted to say that has almost been exclusively the opposite. I've found so many people, you know, to my delight, doctors and nurses and scientists and some with reputations or resumes that make you go, wow, they, this person's reaching out. But so many people that have just been grateful that I would step up and say something that they feel like they can't say or that I organized something in a way that was readable. And so I think on some level, yes, a lot of attention, but it's been my goal now is just to be a good steward of that and to help where I can. But I guess to your question, the biggest takeaway that I got is that people are hungry for truth and it doesn't need to be rude when it's spoken. It just needs to be spoken. And that when, when you can say something that resonates, a lot of people will find it helpful and want to share it. And so a lot more I could say about it, but what other thoughts do you have? Well, I just think it's very interesting that a lot of times people who have maybe a mainstream career or a career that is going to appeal to a broad amount of people, they do something bold like this. And it's kind of risky because you're potentially sacrificing your mainstream audience for this niche audience, but that niche audience might be way more passionate and attracted to someone who's willing to be bold and speak truth on an unpopular issue. And I just think that's kind of a, a, an interesting dynamic that people find that is kind of hard to really follow through on because of that risk to our paychecks. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think so many people, especially a lot of the ones that have written me, have said, thank you for saying what I can't say, literally because they don't want to lose friend circles or they don't want to create tension at work or put their career at risk. And people have asked me, well, what can I do to help? And I I don't know the answer to that. I just know for me, one thing I can do is write. I, I'm not in a situation where somebody's going to come fire me. I'm not in a situation where my kids are going to get ridiculed for daddy's blog post. And so there's, I guess, on some level, less risk. I have certainly the risk of people saying things about me that would, you take enough arrows and it's, no human is above being impacted by that. But yeah, I think you're right. So much of why people have not spoken up is fear. and. So many of the doctors and, and scientists that do speak up, the ones to me that I find the, the most respect for are the ones that do have a lot to lose by saying things. And so many of the ones that do speak up are the ones that their private practice, they're not going to be fired. They can go out and speak what their conscience tells them to do. And so where can the rest of us help? I don't know. You figure out where you can be bold, where you can stand in the fire, where you can sharpen your skills of dialogue or empathy or relating to other humans? And can you write? Can you make videos? Can you have conversations? I don't know. But the more all of us find a way to make a difference, the sooner we change things for the better. Mm. Cheers to that. And these things are difficult to do when we're right in the middle of a story. But I think you're going to be on the right side of history. And luckily, the alternative community isn't as small as they try to make us look on the nightly news. And of course, 18 reasons is a lot to go through one by one, but I did want to highlight a couple of things in there. 
You mentioned the legal immunity these companies have, which is a great point. But another one of your reasons is the vaccine manufacturer's checkered past. And when I get sucked into the debate talking about the criminal past of Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson has been very useful. Just to quote the piece, you say, in case it hasn't sunk in, let me reiterate Three of the four COVID vaccine makers have been sued for products they brought to market, even though they knew injuries and deaths would result. Johnson & Johnson has lost major lawsuits in 95, 96, 2001, 2010, 11, 16, and 19. Pfizer has the distinction of the biggest criminal payout in history. They have lost so many lawsuits, it's hard to count. Maybe that's why they are demanding that countries where they don't have liability protection put up collateral to cover vaccine injury lawsuits. AstraZeneca has similarly lost so many lawsuits it's hard to count. And in case you missed it, the company had their COVID vaccine suspended in at least 18 countries over concerns of blood clots. And they completely botched their meeting with the FDA with numbers from their study that didn't match. Oh, and apparently Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca whose vaccine is not approved for emergency use in the U.S., had a little mix-up in their ingredients in 15 million doses. Oops. Man, I mean, that just tells us so much, and it's hard to argue with a lot of that. But talk to us a little bit about what concerns you most with these companies themselves and their track record. Because I think when we're fighting the big machine and the propaganda war, this is a silver lining. I mean, it's it's handed to us on a silver platter that we should be a little skeptical of these companies' histories. Well, it, you just read the hit list and you read a fraction of what they have been found guilty of. Like Pfizer is currently under a boatload of lawsuits for the Gardasil vaccine because they've been found to commit fraud. You can't sue them for liability, but you can sue them for committing fraud. So even within the vaccine realm, they have a court case going on. And it really takes a big leap in logic to say, you know what, these companies, sure, they get caught doing all sorts of things that aren't a great idea. And we know pharma can dabble in the evil from time to time. But, you know, when it comes to vaccines, of course, they would not do that. Except for the fact that they don't have any liability and they can't get caught. So why would we assume that they would not do that? It's such a blind trust that is completely unfounded. It baffles me that anyone would extend to them trust over their body sovereignty of something that has not been proven to stop infection or transmission and just say, you know what, we're just going to go with it because people in power tell me it's safe. It's shocking to me that we don't have a deeper degree of skepticism over companies that have such a littered criminal history. And if people started going to jail when those things happened, I might have hoped that it would change. But it's just the cost of doing business. You pay a couple billion dollars because you killed some people and then you go back to business as usual. And it's just a line item in your budget. It's not a moment of conscience and rethinking your business strategy. It's just a heck of a way to make a lot of money. Yes. Know them by their fruits, as they say, and their fruits are pretty rotten. Right. And some of the other related points are that the vaccines don't stop transmission or infection, so why get it? People are catching COVID after being fully vaccinated. And a very important one here, underreporting of adverse reactions and death. We've heard about the Harvard study on VAERS vaccine injury reporting that showed less than 1% of adverse reactions are typically being reported to the database. But you go on to write, 
While the problems with VAERS have not been fixed, at the time of this writing, VAERS reports over 2,200 deaths from the current COVID vaccines, as well as close to 60,000 adverse reactions. VAERS data released today shows 50,861 reports of adverse events following COVID vaccines, including 2,249 deaths and 7,726 serious injuries between December of 2020 and March of 2021, and those numbers don't include what is currently 578 cases of Bell's palsy. If those numbers are still only 1% of the total adverse reactions, you can do the math, but that equates to somewhere around 110,000 to 220,000 deaths from the vaccine to date and a ridiculous number of adverse reactions. Bet you didn't see that on the news. (laughs) Well, touche, man. Again, great points. I wasn't even aware of the Bell's palsy issue at all. Are there other concerning things you've seen in terms of vaccine injury in the week since making this post? Oh, man, so many. And it's disheartening how much is hidden in the news or not talked about. The death number is over 4,000 now, just to make that a little more current. But yes, the number of anaphylaxic reactions, the number of women especially suffering tremors or paralysis of some or all of their limbs the number of women with bleeding or menstruation issues or issues with fertility, dramatic changes in their cycles. So many different, the blood clotting, most people know about from all of the vaccines are causing blood clotting issues. And the risk you have to take or or what you have to swallow when you go take these products is one, they have no liability. If something happens to you, stinks to be you. And then the second thing is there's no way that we test to know if anyone has an underlying susceptibility to any of the things that we're seeing happen across the age spectrum to people after they get vaccinated. So yeah, there's so many different concerning narratives and we could spend a whole hour talking about just those. But the point is that system has not been fixed. And in fact, the CDC has gone so far to your point about people catching COVID after being fully vaccinated, they have now changed, shockingly, they have changed, I guess, expectedly might be depending on your perspective. Anybody that gets a breakthrough case, meaning you catch COVID after being fully vaccinated, they stop counting those unless you have a hospitalization or a death. So if you think about the sickness that is that change in policy. We were so fixated for so long on asymptomatic carriers, anybody that's asymptomatic. So you can't feel that you're sick, but somehow you have it and you could spread it to other people. And now that the vaccine's out and I could have caught COVID and have it after being vaccinated and it shows up on a test, we're not going to count that as really a breakthrough case. It's only going to be counted if you go to the hospital or if you die. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they shift the data and the numbers every which way they can. And the other day, it was actually a trend on Twitter that anti-vaxxers were filling up VAERS with false reports of vaccine injury and urged everyone to remember that VAERS reports are unverified. And I got pretty worked up because how about instead of this vague damage control, you follow up on these reports and either verify them or charge people with a crime of false reporting to a government agency. This is serious business and they like to pretend to be data-based, but that is not data just to dismiss these 
people that are trying to get the word out that, hey, this thing screwed me up. Right. There are so many anecdotal arguments about, well, yeah, but that wasn't really a COVID death and anybody can report anything. And the flip side of anecdotal stories is also true of doctors who literally don't know the system exists or doctors who go to register somebody and the system is down and they can't get it registered or people who try to have their doctor register an adverse event and the doctor refuses to do it. So either way you want to go, we are not counting this accurately. And there's so many broken parts to this system that are not that hard to fix. And the CDC has been taken to task by two different organizations, probably more than I know of, but at least two with very serious questions about how the system works so we can understand what the problems are and how to fix it. My last awareness is it's 60 plus days, I think it's 64 days since those questions have been sent to the CDC and they refuse to even answer them because the CDC is supposed to follow up with every one of these incidents that are reported, especially the deaths. And we have no evidence that they're actually even doing it to know if the deaths are accurate or where they're coming from or how to clean up the system. They seem to have no interest whatsoever in helping us find accurate numbers. Yeah, very telling. And you mentioned the menstruation issues, and I'm usually hearing that now in conjunction with this thread about shedding from vaccinated people. And I don't know how to feel about it because I think the model that supports something like shedding is kind of flawed at a base level. But some people like Dr. Tenpenny and Dr. Northrup are seeing reports of odd behavior with women's cycles. Apparently unvaccinated women who have gone through menopause started cycling again after being around vaccinated family members. Women who are on period blocking birth control, like the NuvaRing and that kind of stuff, they're having cycles anyway. This is very strange stuff. And the element that's the strangest to me is that the suggestion is that you just have to be around a vaccinated person and some of this stuff starts happening. Have you heard that? Do you put any stock in that kind of stuff? I have heard that. And I think for what we know, there's a Pfizer document, I believe it's page, I want to say six of this document. I can, we'll find it if listeners want it. But Pfizer in their own document, they submitted, talk about the idea of inhalation or skin contact as a possible way that this virus can be shed. And it's, they say the incidents of this are low. And so that leaves us with so many questions. Okay, you, you know this happens, that people can get it from inhalation or skin contact. So where did you see that happen? And what does it mean that it's a low or extremely low risk? Is that 0.1%? Is that one? Is that 10%? What's a low chance, a low probability of this? But there's evidence that it does happen. Do we know all of what there is to know about it? No, they're, they're not very forthcoming with answering some of those questions or with what they already know. So the idea that it can be shed has plausibility to it. And then especially with these people would probably argue anecdotal stories of others being around those who are vaccinated and suddenly they have reactions. And part of what we're slowly starting to understand is this spike protein, the coronavirus is that you think of it as a circle or a ball with a whole bunch of spikes on it, like a little crown. That's where the corona, the crown comes from. It's a whole bunch of little spikes sticking up off this ball. And those spike proteins, when you get injected with the mRNA vaccine, you're getting injected with billions of them instantly, which you would never be exposed to that much volume of them by catching it in the wild. So we have no idea the ramifications of billions of spike proteins being injected into 
the human body and where they might go. But what they are is they're a way that lets the coronavirus into the cell. Okay, <laughs> why in the world do we want to be injecting something like that into it? And what are the ramifications for being around people who have? We don't have answers to that. Throw that under the list of data gaps that we have and the complete absence of any long-term safety awareness of what these vaccines are doing in people. It's just another drip in the bucket that for any thinking person makes you scratch your head and say, what in the world are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. It's very concerning because I'm obviously in the minority of people that I know to not get the vaccine. And my attitude has been live and let live. You do what makes you comfortable, buddy. Just don't judge me for not doing the same. And I thought I was fine with that attitude, but it seems like I might not be. And it just sucks because it's kind of like maybe a happy accident for them that they're able to divide us further over ideological lines because people who are in the alternative community hearing this, I don't want to see them start avoiding their vaccinated friends and family. It's just another separation, putting us in these little boxes. It's just a really unfortunate data point, and I just don't want it to be true. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't like it any more than anybody else does. But what I can say is I'm not hiding in my basement, you know, hoping that the world doesn't end and or we all turn into zombies. My perspective on that is, yes, there's risk to that, but you can fall outside and a brick and step on your head. There's always risk to living and we can't just live in fear. Yes. But one of the best things we can do is rev up our immune system. If there's ever been a wake up call globally to rethink how we are treating our bodies and how we are taking care of our health and our planet, then gosh, this is it. Like the opportunity we have here to double down on the things that we undoubtedly know build health, that build resiliency, because we know the people who are susceptible to whether it's these shedding or whether it's just catching it in the wild, the more unhealthy you are, the worse off you're going to be. So let that basic knowledge empower you, embolden you to start working on your health as aggressively as you can, you can afford to, you have the time it takes to do it, but put in the work and know that your body's not dumb. It knows how to adapt around things like this and it can and will if you know how to empower it. Good points. And I do want to transition maybe to some of the more positive stuff we can do, some of the empowering stuff that is in your repertoire while we're still in this first hour. Here's kind of a related quote from the blog where you write, do you want to know the hardest question you'll have to answer in order to achieve your goals? Here's the question. What's the big, juicy, emotional, hot-button purpose behind that goal? Seriously? Let me guess. You're probably thinking something like, come on, there has to be a better question than that one. Well, Napoleon Hill, author of Think and Grow Rich, asked over 25,000 people that question and found only 2% of people could give him an answer. What's more, he also found the people who went on to accomplish great things were the 2% who could answer it. He calls the trait of the 2% definiteness of purpose. And I like that, whether it's health or any of our goals, how can we best use this information? How do we suss out a deeper emotional purpose to our goals? Oh, man, now you're asking, you went straight for the jugular. <laughs> Those are some of the most impactful and difficult questions to answer when it comes to health or to a well-lived life, for that matter. So what I've found in doing this work for as long as I have it, you know, I started mostly in the alternative health realm and as many different ways as I could work on my body. And what I realized over time was I can have the best health information in the world. I've personally done over three dozen different healing modalities on my own body. I mean, I've tried a lot of things, 
And as you walk through that and you realize, shoot, I have so many different ways I can help somebody. We built a facility where we could help in so many different ways from nutrition to chiropractic and acupuncture and naturopathy and so on. But at the end of the day, if we didn't have a way to address this purpose question or that what's driving this person, where does the motivation come from? You know, our results that typically aren't going to be any better than anything else you might try. And what's been interesting for me since this blog post went out is the volume of people who've come in for a consultation or who become clients who have resonated so deeply with this idea of feeling like they're kind of floundering a little bit, feeling like they're almost rudderless, like they need something to sink their teeth into because we humans are predictable. If we don't feel like what we do matters, if we can't sink our teeth into a sense of purpose, if we just feel like we're taking up space, we become very unmotivated very quickly. And so the flip side of that is the more you can answer those questions, the easier it gets to stay full of vigor and to practice the health habits that you know are part of that well-lived life you want. So that's a long way to get to the answering the question. But the point is, if you will take the time, if you will create the space to say, yeah, why? Like, why does it matter? What am I here on this earth to do? Who can I help? Every human, so far as I've ever interacted and can tell, wants to feel like they are making a difference, that their actions matter, and that at the end of the day, somebody's life is better because they showed up. And so much of the motivation black hole that we've fallen into globally is where do I aim myself in that context? Especially if I can imagine for people that are just graduating and trying to find a place to go work. Like when you can step back and say, what would be a meaningful life? Because your definition of success is going to be multifaceted. It's not going to be, if you're super healthy and you're broke and have no friends, that won't feel successful. And flip that around. If you have great friends and you're super healthy and you're broke, that doesn't feel successful and so on. So the point is we have different check marks or check boxes that we have to hit and that we have to have enough attention to so that we don't go through life and never feel successful. So part of purpose is recognizing that it won't just be saving the whales or ending world hunger or stopping human trafficking. It, it, we overthink it sometimes. It's just, who do I matter to? And where do I find a sense of joy? Where can I bring joy to others? And as long as you have the feeling that you matter to one person, there's an uptick of motivation because now the whatever action I'm about to take has meaning because I get to show up for that person. So a lot more I could say, but that's some of what I've been teasing out over the years of how important it is to find that. And sometimes when you can't seem to find answers to those questions, you flip the script and you just start looking for a series of small wins of something you can control. Can you go to bed on time? Can you drink water consistently? Can you exercise? And you find the things, whether it's vocationally, relationally, that just give you a sense of like, hey, I'm actually making progress. That feeling of progress can help you have the fuel to say, oh, I see how this is making a difference. And then on the biological level, the flip side is if, if you aren't sleeping well and you're undernourished and you never drink water and you're super stressed and you don't ever play, it's going to be really hard to have any of the biological bandwidth to even ask the questions about your purpose. So anyway, that's, it's a holistic way as much as I can frame it in this time to how to start thinking about where you find your sense of purpose. But the more you kind of figure out where you are in that ability to articulate what's important to you, it can help you know where to aim in terms of what would be the next step to help me get closer to a clearer purpose. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the emotional question is important. It's kind of buried deep down in there, and we should try to extract it out, and it'll help us in a lot of ways. Now, in the example of our physical shape, mm-hmm. I think for a lot of us, the emotional purpose is pretty easy to identify. We want to feel better about our physical self. We want to be more confident. We want to feel less vulnerable or inadequate. And if we've identified that emotional purpose in this context, how can we use that to actually get closer to our goals? I mean, we've acknowledged it, but progress maybe still doesn't seem to be made in that particular case. No, you're you're asking a really good question. So what I found is there's actually a layer deeper than that. So you don't want to have a whole lot of money in the bank account so you can just stare at your bank statement. You don't want to have a really great body so you can just sit on the beach and do nothing. The things that we ought to and need to be disciplined with at life, taking care of your health for one example, feels purposeless if it isn't connected to how it's making your life better. So to me, it's easy to get in the weeds with, do I have this app to track this thing or do I, which meal plan or which exercise program do I follow? and try to muster up the discipline to stick with it. And what I found is that loop of willpower and trying harder and doing this because I know I should, void of the perspective of, okay, so if I take care of my body well, what life does it let me live? Who do I get to show up for? Where do I get to be more present? How do I make more money so I can make a greater impact? And if it's siloed into, I need to exercise or I need to do these health things because I'm supposed to, it's not a very motivating experience and willpower is a very exhaustible resource. It needs a place that it fits in the larger narrative of the life you're trying to live. And as it gets to be clear, oh, when I show up and when I do take care of myself, I show up and I'm more present for XYZ. When I take care of my sleep and I protect my boundaries, I have the bandwidth to be there with my family and to not be distracted. And I think it's somewhat cart before the horse to say, I got to do all these health things because if it doesn't know what life you want, but the flip side of that is sometimes you get the discipline of practicing them and trust the process that the ability to answer the questions about why they matter will show up. You stay disciplined with exercise long enough and you're able to help that person who needs you to move. You're able to do those extra things that make you feel capable and confident. So they both reinforce each other. But if you go to your health habits as a means to an end, it won't matter how many push-ups you can do or how many ounces of water you drink if it doesn't say, I'm doing this because it lets me live a better life. Mm. That does make sense. And I don't really like to make this show about me. I like it to be a lot broader. But in my case, I am very fortunate in pretty much every category, income and career, love and relationship, social life, geographical location, pretty much 10 out of 10, almost no room for improvement, except my biggest problem is, which is probably shared by a lot of people, is that I can eat right, I can get sunlight, I can do a lot of these things that promote good internal health, but when it comes to physical exercise, I've neglected it for so long that my muscles are just weak. I can do 25, maybe 30 push-ups, but I can't seem to be able to do any more, and I certainly can't seem to stack any other exercise on top of that. So I'm done in like five minutes. I go through this mental turmoil to actually get down and do push-ups, and I'm done in less than five minutes. And I constantly just feel defeated and frustrated by my physical weakness and lack of ability to 
push through when I know they say that it's mostly mental? Maybe I don't have enough heart. Help me out here. <laughs> well, no, one, you're not weird. But two, there's different levels at which to think about the puzzle that you just articulated. Academically, you send to the idea that, yeah, the you know, more I can exercise, the better I take care of myself in this context with going to the gym or, or movement or whatever way you're framing the way you exercise the better life gets and the better you look in clothes and so on and so forth. But part of, I think where so much of the disconnect we experience when it comes to quote unquote exercise is cultural. It's the stories we have heard, the frame of reference for you do this. And in 30 days, you're going to have this result. And usually that's the outlier story. It's not the typical path. So there's a framing element to okay, why would I want to be able to move or do these things? And it sounds like from hearing you talk about life, there's no element where you being physically incapable is currently hurting your chances of success anywhere else. And so the <laughs> yes. more that you fast forward into the future where you see, gosh, if I don't get back in front of this, this is not going somewhere pretty. Humans change for one of two reasons, inspiration or desperation. Hopefully we don't have to get to the desperation part, but some of it is likely the way you have framed your expectations around what it can do for you or around how long it should take or how long you're supposed to do something, five minutes versus an hour versus which exercises. And if you don't have an athletic background or you haven't grown up exercising or going to the gym, then as an adult, it's kind of like trying to learn to ride a bike. It's this, oh, like it feels more laborious. You don't have a childhood memory of pushing yourself and exertion and having that pay off when you're playing as part of a team, for example, or mm -hmm. Another way to, to think about it is think back to when you were a kid. I guarantee you, you did something that people would call exercise and you had a giant smile on your face and you were loving it. And so much of finding joy with exercise is broadening it to think in terms of movement, not just structured time dedicated to practicing something, but just going out and enjoying feeling alive in your body and exerting yourself and getting a little bit winded and looking far or being with people and reconceiving what you think of as an active life. And then as you have more clarity on the life and the adventures you want to live, and then you recognize, wait a minute, exercise can, if I practice it the right way, can be the vehicle to help me be better at that, to help me do it for longer, to help me look better while I do it. And now it has some meaning because you know where you want to go with it. So that'd be one. Another one I'd say is the people that you hang out with have a lot to do with David McClellan at Harvard, his, some of his life work was figuring out that the number one influential factor of where we go in life and what we strive for has everything to do with what he called our reference group, the people that we associate with, because we read what they read and we think like they think, and we tend to exercise if they're active and, and they rub off on us. So some of it may be finding and plugging into friend circles or new ways to get yourself out there and experience the joy of being active around people that also inspire you. And then recognizing that part of a good, well-lived life is play. It's, it's enjoying the world and getting out there and seeing who you can spend that time with. And then when you frame it that way, exercise can become a joy because you see it's so easy to string together little wins and to feel a sense of progress probably more than anything else in the entire realm of health habits. It's such a tangible, palpable, my heart rate is up, my muscles are sore, or whatever that feeling is that tells you, huh, I actually can get better. Sometimes you just need to experience that a few times before it clicks. And for some people, it's a matter of weeks. And for other people, I've, you know, I've had 
clients come back a year later and be like, okay, I get it now. I'm like, I actually crave a workout and I feel so much better when I do it, but it took a while to get there. So the question you want to, a question you want to ponder would be, well, what would it take for me to stay consistent doing this for a year? Like what would have to happen for me to just not make excuses, to just stay fascinated and curious with the process and hold my expectations loosely to realize I'm never going to be perfect at this, but I'm committed to not quitting, to continuing to try. And sometimes it's just a shift in how you think about that puzzle that frames it in a way you're like, you know what? I can start that journey. I can try to string together a number of days or weeks with check marks and just see where it goes and become fascinated with the process and looking for ways that exercise enriches your life and you'll find them. Mm. Good advice. I think in my case, I've had so many other successes that I'm just kind of part of me is comfortable writing off the physical body and saying, well, nobody's perfect. Take your wins and just let that be a loss because I don't want to highlight my glaring weaknesses. I don't want to see myself struggle anymore when I've had successes in other ways. And, uh, you know, it's the last thing really to address. And maybe I'm on the verge of almost kind of possibly addressing it. <laughs> so I do appreciate that. And to maybe broaden this out for everyone, this is kind of a long and involved thing to get into, but it was helpful for me when I took your quiz on the website. Mm -hmm. And instead of a one-size-fits-all approach, you start your coaching with a personality test. Talk to us about the four different personality types and the four shadow sides of those personality types that tend to get in our way. Okay, great question. So yeah, that quiz really came out of multiple years of really trying to help as many different people as we could. And my wife's been a big fan of studying human psychology, human nature, different personality type quizzes. And we had the thought, the more we have come to understand human psychology or human nature and the things that really drive every human, you realize it's, man, it's refreshingly simpler. And then so we took that kind of awareness and said, okay, well, let's reflect on client transformations of people who have made it and who have overcome the kind of gotten out of their own way and found the success they wanted finally. And so we had, you know, several hundred people to draw from as we thought about that. And as we started creating these, here's what this person did, we realized there's kind of this narrative arc and we didn't have a number of how many different typical journeys there would be, but we ended up with about four fairly common ways that people go through the process of trying to reach their health goals and to be able to tease out some of the expectations or default settings or wirings or the personalities that people brought to the process, it became a really eye-opening experience. And then to pair that with, okay, well, what were the potholes that these people kept bumping into? And so that became kind of the shadow side, which is a concept we've drawn from different things, in particular the Enneagram. But the idea that what's a health transformation type? So the first one we came up with was what we call the driven achiever. This is somebody who's just, they're a go-go. They love to have their hands on a lot of things. People typically look at them and say, that person's a success. They really do. I don't know how they do it all and keep all those irons in the fire. And they typically are achievers. The flip side is they're often people who almost every time they hit a crisis of limitations and they get this burnout point where they just realize, I physically can't do all of this. They typically have a hard time saying no to things because they don't want to disappoint people. And so 
I'm going to go exercise and then I'm going to take on my diet and I'm going to sleep better. And I'm going to, all I'm going to start this on Monday and they just overwhelm their lives with change and they'll make some good initial progress. And then the reality of, oh, I still have a job and I still have a family or I still have other responsibilities or I don't feel like it right now hits them. And that crisis of limitation or that burnout, fear of disappointing people nudges them to keep going until they just physically can't. So that was the first one we came up with. The second one that we identified was what we call the methodical strategist. So this is somebody who just really wants to change. And they look at this process of getting healthier and they're super analytical with it. They really want to know all the moving parts. They have to understand everything. They're not going to go on trust as much until you educate them. And so they step back and they plot out all the details and they typically have Excel charts or grocery lists or just whatever different way they have learned to organize information and create a a methodical plan. And so they often have some of the most enduring success because they have taken such a systematic approach to bettering their health. But what happens often with a personality type like that is it's constantly getting ready to get ready and it's it's ready, aim, aim. I'm I'm still aiming. I'm going to eventually pull the trigger here. And they just, they're so shy sometimes to just take bold action and do something and trust the process that they constantly trip over this analysis paralysis and then don't actually, you know, you delay that long enough and it feels like, oh, what's the point? And so they just kind of fall off the wagon until they're ready to really get back in and analyze why it didn't work last time and start the process over. So that was the second one. The third one that we came up with was what we called the social go-getter. And so this is that personality type who's just, as you can imagine, typically extroverted. They're highly social. They liked it. The energy of being around other people and being part of a tribe and committing to this whatever number of days challenge, and they're going to do it. And they love it for the, you know, the comments they get and the accolades. And the challenge with that type of personality, as you can imagine, is that if the accolades slow down, or if it's not as fun, or if a few people fall off, and the element of newness kind of wears off, then they kind of get deflated and tend to lose their motivation. And so they're kind of just wait for that next other external thing to rally them to make them want to do it rather than dig a little bit deeper and say like why do i want to do this for me and how would i be consistent with it for myself so that was the third one the fourth one was what we call the bold competitor and these are the people that are just like they're going to sign up for the most massive thing they can do and they typically just go bigger and bigger each time trying to just well if i spend more money or if i just do something more extreme or more aggressive i just didn't cut my calories back long enough last time i Maybe I should, if it's finally time to do that surgery or that whatever thing, they just go bigger and bigger and they just pick up a bazooka and they fire it in the general direction. Of course, they hit something, but how did that do the job? Okay, now they just pick up another round and fire another one. And they could use a little more methodical strategist is kind of the way to think about it. They could use a little more calculation of, wait a minute, how much capacity do I really have? And if I fire this entire magazine in this direction, Am I even aiming the right way or am I, have I soberly evaluated the options in front of me such that I know what I'm doing? Yes, it's bold, but is it too big or maybe I could have bold in phases. And so there's different ways that they trip over themselves. They often tend to be people who just can be kind of a bull in the china shop with others. They're so bold and they don't get why other people won't be bold. And so they can kind of end up later in life just, you know, feeling like they don't have as many friends as they want because they hadn't learned to slow down and be a little more methodical, a little more empathetic. So those are different people fit in different ones. Sometimes people take that quiz and like, oh my gosh, it's like you were reading my diary. 
how did you know that about me? And other people will take it and they'll think, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm a blend of these two. And interestingly, we found that whatever one sounds the least like you often has the biggest opportunity to create some wins because you could just use a little bit more of a strength you don't have and learning how to cultivate it, how to get outside your comfort zone or for a bold competitor, how to slow down and not just go, go, go. I'm going to exercise five times this week. I'm going to do this. And no, you're not. You're going to burn out in two weeks and then it's over. So it's a fun way to begin framing somebody's journey through transforming their health because there's no one way it goes. But the ancient Greek phrase, know thyself, the idea that you step back and say, why do I do some of the things I do? And what patterns have I been in? If you can start out your next journey to better your health with questions like that, we found it sets you up for success so much more deeply. And you know, the feedback we get from clients is it's laughable sometimes. They're, oh, yeah, I lost a bunch of weight. My, like, I feel better. My energy's great. And my joints don't hurt anymore. But let me tell you how much better I know myself. I totally, like, life is so much better. And it's just because we don't skip the human nature, the part of them that's unique in that equation. And there's such a windfall emotionally when you don't make as many harsh judgments about yourself. You just step back and you say, huh, I wonder why I make those choices. It seems to be a, a great place to start. Yes, that's a great breakdown. And hopefully one of those or a couple of them resonated with the individuals out there. I personally, when I took the test, I got methodical strategists, which makes a lot of sense. I'm always like work smarter, not harder. And I'm always trying to find the most efficient way to get into exercise, most bang for the buck before I actually do anything. And then I never get to the doing something stage. I'll write out workout routines and write myself a detailed breakdown of what I should be doing and try to tweak it to get it just right. And then that's basically where it ends. But I also have a healthy dose of social go-getter because I fill all my extra time with social interactions, which usually include beer or a keef covered blunt or something like that. And I never get to those lists or schedules. I'm just too busy. Hanging out always has to come first. Convenient. <laughs> yep. You, well, I'm glad you got some clarity in ways to understand just a little bit better. And the more you just keep exploring those, huh, it just, just be curious and fascinated. The more you can replace any frustration with the genuine emotion of fascination, it just unlocks an ability to be introspective that's disarming and helps you really get to the heart of the matter a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And man, this is just really awesome, really motivating and I'm always saying that if we're going to have all these minority opinions and walk this alternative path, then we should be examples to the world as to how these worldviews serve us. We want a strong counterculture that actually looks like it yields better results than the conventional path. So we got to, mm -hmm. you know, we got to walk the walk, as they say. And I think that's ultimately how we win. So I appreciate everything you do, man. Before we call it in, give the people your links. And if any of the listeners are motivated to take the next step or engage in a more hands-on personal development plan with you, where should they go? Uh, well, thank you for asking. They can go to our website, truewholehuman.com. Just three words, truewholehuman.com. You can find a way to get a hold of us or learn more about our program there. If you want to see our blog specifically, it's linked from that page, but you could just go directly to deconstructingconventional.com and you can find me ruminating on all sorts of different topics of health and trying to deconstruct the way we've thought about it for a long time. Awesome. Well, 
I know I'm tempted myself. If I was ever going to have uh, a coach, it would have to be someone who thinks like you. So I really appreciate your time, but keep up the good fight, man, and take care. Well, thank you very much for having me. You got it. All right, all right, all right. How about that? <laughs> I had a good time, and I think Christian is really brave for putting out some of the blog posts that he has, especially the 18 reasons he won't be getting a COVID vaccine post, because he doesn't really need to do that. He doesn't have to poke the bear. And I think we're all aware that even if we're right on this, we are in the minority. So to put something like that out there that's so controversial when you could just keep those thoughts to yourself is something I wanted to reward. And not just in this one case, but in an ongoing manner. I remember in the early days of this show talking about how we don't really support whistleblowers and when we have journalists or whistleblowers that end up dead mysteriously, it also doesn't seem to spawn any sort of George Floyd-like outrage. And we have to remember that anyone who is on the fence about being a truth teller or speaking out in their industry, the examples they see that came before them are going to play into their decisions in a big way. Obviously, we're not talking about the same scale here, but we are in the same ballpark. And instead of a world where making a bold, unpopular, but honest proclamation that goes against the grain ruins your career or hurts your ability to do business, I really want to at least contribute to trying to flip the script on that. I want Christian's 18 Reasons post to be the catalyst for a flood of new clients coming in, not going out. It was nice to hear that the vast majority of attention he's gotten has been positive, but I was just thinking about my position in all of this and what I can do, and it felt like the right play. I know some parts of the overall interview were probably a bit tame for us around here, but maybe others were motivated to get up and get moving. Maybe some people thought about their struggles and their stuckness a little differently through Christian's advice. I should throw this out. But again, I asked Christian once we got off the air if he had any sort of coupon code or special offer for us. And I really need to start asking this sort of stuff way sooner and putting it at the beginning of the show when it applies. But he actually said that there's no need for a coupon code, really, because anyone who feels motivated by this can call and get a free consultation from him already. And I'm not sure he's prepared for how many of us there really are, but that's a very generous thing that he does. And if you think you could use a little more personal one-on-one -on -one advice and maybe someone to hold you accountable, then Christian is the man to go to. If I was going to get any sort of personal trainer, it would have to be someone who sees general health the way I do, a bio-terrain-based approach that folds in mental and emotional stresses that keep us blocked. And he actually kind of has a magical approach to goal-setting and intention, actually, which I also appreciate. I just have this idea in my head of us being the real super soldiers when it's all said and done. That people who still consume the industrialized foods, who allow themselves to live in fear and take a plethora of Rockefeller, Petro pills, and yes, even get their vaccines, these people are the ones that are going to be in a poor state of health. And we don't have to do anything but be our best selves. And 10 years from now, the world will look around to see who's thriving, and it will be the ones who took the advice of people like Christian and a lot of other THC guests. 
We can't wake everyone up with words, but we can lead by example, and eventually it will just be obvious whose worldview and way of life is best. I've been hearing more people making comments about how we're at a point in this system now where just being joyful and happy and offering others the opportunity to join in on that is a rebellious act. Jokes and memes and laughter, these are weapons against tyranny and fear and everything that's going on these days. And I would agree with a lot of that. It's kind of sad that attitudes and actions we used to just consider normal life are being attacked to such a degree that, I don't know, being a light in the world and all those cheesy phrases that encompass this stuff I'm trying to get at can be seen as a form of pushing back against the encroaching darkness. It's actually better than pushing back because it's more like just completely rising above. To use the old labyrinth phrase, it's like simply saying, you have no power over me. And that's a beautiful thing. And even if you don't need a lot of health or diet or exercise advice, I hope it's still helpful to see an example like Christian just out there doing his thing. And he made a lot of great points. Let COVID and vaccines and vaccine shedding reports all be the wake-up call you need to start taking your immune system seriously. Because a lot of us were coasting, weren't we? Let's be honest. Now I'm being more proactive personally, and that's a good thing any way you slice it. I hope you are too. Another good personal rule I heard lately is once you define your goals, make a simple promise to yourself to have no more zero days. Meaning, no more days with zero progress. You want to waste half the day on the couch, fine, but at some point, some sort of progress towards your goals must be made before you go to bed. Big or small, doesn't matter, but no more zero days. I like that. When I had a more conventional job, it's very true that whatever those two days off a week were, those were the days to do nothing, and I see it in a lot of my friends as well. I understand. We work hard. We hate those jobs. It takes a lot out of us. You want to just chill on those two extra days, but you'll just be rinsing and repeating forever if you don't do something to move towards your goals. Also, I have some seemingly very good vaccine-related interviews peppered in, which will contain new news, but I hadn't yet been able to have someone here to talk to about the shedding story, because it is in the conspiracy and I like to at least be able to mention threads as they emerge. I don't think we need to do two hours on the vaccine shedding story. But if I have guests who have following the vaccine saga as part of their repertoire, then I'm able to add these little things to the conversation. Now, the shedding thing, I do think it kind of just spreads fear and probably shouldn't be dwelled on too much. But another story is the magnets on the arm thing that's going on. I thought it was a joke until Dell Bigtree covered it on the high wire. But many people who just recently had a COVID-19 vaccine can get a magnet to stick on the injection site. Pretty wild. I'm also hearing more serious stories about enlarging hearts because of the vaccine, which is scary. I'm hearing the spike protein in the vaccine can be toxic and cross the blood brain barrier and cause neurological issues. I've even heard a recent story of a vaccine-injured person being offered 10 grand to sign a non-disclosure because they don't want any bad stories coming out. 
So it's really what we've said all along and hearing a lot of these confirmations is bittersweet. It's nice to know we were on the correct side of an issue being in such a minority position, but part of me feels like, what's the point? Nobody is still undecided on this and what's done is done. But we have to keep talking about it so that the stories can't be spun as unrelated, that the things people are experiencing couldn't be the result of the vaccine, even though every illness and injury known to man in 2020 was related to COVID. We have to keep talking about these negative effects some people are dealing with, not because we didn't see it coming, but because the mainstream media won't talk about it and is actively trying to suppress it in a lot of cases. I know I get sick of hearing about it sometimes, but I still think we can do both. We can dedicate some conversations to following those threads and giving updates when it's necessary, and also leave plenty of room for the electric universe and the occult and multidimensional entities and everything else we want to talk about. And a big focus of my guest selection lately is looking for people who will be the leaders, or at least thought leaders, and inspiring voices in the new world. I think we're going to be more than fine, and we could all use inspiration and examples of how other people are navigating these times as well. And I hope it rubs off on me as much as it does you guys. But that's it. Feel free to take Christian up on his one-on-one -on -one counseling offer. Please don't completely waste his time. If you call, at least have it in your head that you might consider going beyond that initial stage. I'm starting to hear from guests who have been on the show that a THC audience response can be a bit overwhelming. <laughs> and, you know, hey, sorry, not sorry, you know. But you guys get it. Check out True Whole Human if you want to do that and tell them I sent you. Of course, every THC episode has a second hour for plus members. Sign up at thehiresideshots.com. In today's second hour, we talked about Christian's terrain theory thoughts and the virome wrestling with that story about COVID long-haul symptoms, considering that your health problems could actually be digestion problems, probiotics 101, hormone leveling, debunking the calories in, calories out myth, homeschooling five children in Christian's household, raising unvaccinated kids and his experience, as well as Western medicine and how it's very similar to the motif of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Hope you had a good time. Enjoy the day. I think May has been a pretty great month for us. Dr. Bear Lando, George Wiseman, John Michael Greer, Law Thornhill, and Christian Elliott. Each with a full extra hour if you're not a Plus member. That is a lot to miss, but hey, I've done all I can, and it's a lineup I'm proud of. Let's see if I can keep it up. But for now, I'm getting out of here. I've done my part. Your move, stress producers, health reducers, and industrialized system sucker seducers. Your fucking. Sometimes when I get down, I eat a bunch of corporate junk. Processed stuff that makes you fat. Yeah, it's a weak and sickly people making industry. Don't tell me, don't tell me lies. Discipline is no fun, I find. Denial makes it all gone. And I don't have to face it, that's 
the digital technology. And every now and then I try to quit 